first uh, asked to speak on this topic, uh, as you can imagine, my initial reaction was, what do I know about motherhood? Uh, I've never been one. But like everybody else here, I did have one. And I also am married to a mother of five. So I guess I have had some experience with motherhood, even though it's, it's not directly. Uh, and I will tell you, just, just up front, let me tell you, because I think both of these gentlemen have already done an excellent job, but I will say I'm going to be teaching and not preaching. And the difference is I am not expositing uh, any particular text, uh, but rather we're going to talk about uh, motherhood, hopefully from a biblical perspective, uh, from, from precepts that are taken from the scriptures. Uh, but I will ask up front, especially of all you mothers, uh, you will have to forgive me if I make some statements and assumptions about motherhood that are not true, uh, because once again, I have, I have never been in your position. Uh, so with that being said, let's, let's open with a word of prayer. Lord God in heaven, we do give you thanks for this time we have together to, uh, to consider the blessing of family that you have given to us. Uh, I do pray, Father, that everything that I say would be true to your word and faithful to your teaching to us. Uh, in the event that it isn't, I pray, Father, that you would uh, allow my words to, to run off of hearts like water over a rock. Uh, but in, the, in the, the cases where we are true to your word, Father, I, I pray that there would be treasures here uh, that mothers can cherish and take home with them uh, to help them in raising their children. And we do ask all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, whereas most of of what I have to say today probably uh, applies to fathers as much as it does mothers, uh, we are aware that there is a relationship between a child and his mother that is different than the relationship that that child has with his father. And trust me, mothers, all of us fathers are very well aware of that. Uh, There is a bonding that takes place between a mother and her children uh, from the time that the baby is in the womb that a father does not experience. You know, I've told my wife in the past, you know, I think so-and-so is pregnant. She says, why do you think so? I said, because she started standing like this, right? Now, that's not biblical, and there's nothing in, in Scripture that would reference that. It could be that she had chili fries and onions, you know, the night before, and that's not why she's standing that way at all. But there is a motherly instinct 
that God gives to mothers to begin to protect and nurture that little one from the time that they are in the womb. Is there any scriptural evidence for that? Maybe. I will tell you that I have uh, recently been preaching through the book of Judges, and I came across the account of Samson's birth. If you're not familiar with it, an angel of the Lord comes to the barren wife of Manoah and announces to her that she is going to have a son. And he gives her some special instructions as to how she is to care for that child because God has designated him to be a Nazarite from the womb. So for all of you who uh, maybe look for different passages to support at what point in time does life begin, uh, there is another reference for you. But she goes home and she tells her husband the news that this angel has given to her and he wants to know, what, what are we supposed to do? How do we raise this boy? Uh, what occupation is he to have? He wants to talk to the angel himself. Well, lo and behold, the angel again appears to the wife while she is out in the field and being the diligent wife that she is and respectful to her husband. She asks the angel to wait there while she goes and gets her husband. So the husband comes and presents those questions to the angel and basically the angel of the Lord tells him this really doesn't involve you. I have already told your wife what she is to do while the child is in the womb, and we can leave it at that. Or, we also have the instance of Moses. You all know the account in Exodus chapter 2 that the Pharaoh has issued instructions that every male Hebrew is to be thrown into the river. And after learning of this, Moses' mother, when he is born, puts him in a basket and puts him in the reed, reeds in the river, and has his sister stand guard uh, to observe what happens to him. That is a motherly instinct of a mother protecting her child. Notice it doesn't say the father put the baby in the basket and took him to the river, but the mother does. And she has the sister stand guard when, the, when Pharaoh's daughter comes and finds the baby, the sister convinces her or suggests to her that she should have him wombed 
have him weaned by a Hebrew mother. And unbeknownst to her, she ultimately ends up paying Moses' own mother to wean him. And what's interesting about that is in the very next paragraph, we read that Moses is now an adult. He goes out among his own Hebrew people, and ultimately he kills an Egyptian for abusing a Hebrew slave. Now the question is, how did Moses know that he was a Hebrew? Did the Pharaoh's daughter tell him that that's how she came to be his mother? Or is this something that he picked up on while he was really being weaned by his own mother? I don't know. The scriptures don't tell us the answer to that one, but we certainly can witness the fact that there is a God-given instinct in a mother both to protect and to nurture her children. So let's go back to the original mother. Go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3 in the garden. And notice the words of God's curse upon the serpent, which we commonly refer to as the pro-Uangelion, the first mention of the good news of the gospel. God says, And I will make to the serpent, and I will make enemies of you and the woman, and of your offspring and her descendant, which is Christ He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. So right there, from the very outset, in the garden, God gives dignity to motherhood. He refers to her offspring, not Adam's offspring. And shortly thereafter, In verse 20, we read, Now the man named his wife Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Then fast forward to the fulfillment of the promise, all the way up to the incarnation of God himself in the person of the Son, And what do we learn? Conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a woman. Oh yes, God himself is the one who dignifies the position of motherhood. There is no doubt about that. That is his chosen medium in the procreation of all humanity which leads us to a very important parallel for us to consider here. When a mother gives birth to a child, she's not only giving birth to a mortal,
fleshly human being. She is also giving birth to a human being that has an eternal soul. Just as surely as every human being born on this earth is going to die, unless Jesus comes before that time, but as surely as every human being born is going to die physically, every human being is born with an immortal soul that will live for all eternity, either in heaven or in hell. But that soul will live for all eternity, and God has given the woman a primary responsibility in nurturing this child, physically as well as joint responsibility of nurturing this little one's soul. And there could not be a greater responsibility than that. Or maybe privilege is a better word. Being the party that God has designated to begin to teach a child who God is. Not only by the words that we speak, but also by the way that we interact with them. Now I say we because obviously fathers share in this responsibility. But I think we would all agree, especially uh, during infancy and as toddlers, uh, that children spend more time with their mothers than they do with their fathers. What an opportunity. Right? As, as John just used that word as well. What a privilege to demonstrate to this child the attributes of God. That is the communicable attributes that he has shared with us. Like love, grace, truth, forgiveness, mercy, And I don't mean only to teach a child intellectually what those concepts mean, but to actually demonstrate them to the child. And for what reason? To show the world what good parents we are? No. To save the child's soul? No. We all know that we can't save anybody's soul, that that is a work of God himself. No, we train our children in the things of God to glorify God. That is what we were created for, right? What is the chief end of man? It is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. And what could possibly be a better way for us to enjoy God than to teach our children about who he is? But there's a problem here, isn't there? And the problem is that mothers are sinners, as well as our fathers, needless to say. But hopefully, at least in this audience, 
They are redeemed sinners. But nonetheless, we are all sinners assigned the responsibility of teaching our sinful children who God is and why we have a need for a Savior. And regardless of what you teach your children conceptually, they will learn much more from your actions than they ever will from your academic instruction. So let me ask mothers this. Do you ever get frustrated, overwhelmed with all of the tasks that you have before you? Cooking, cleaning, laundry, changing diapers, taxiing children around, Maybe you're even a working mother to boot, and by working mother, I mean you have employment outside of the home as well as inside the home with your full-time vocation as a mother, or maybe you're a homeschooling mother as well. Do you ever want to just throw up your hands and cry out, how can one person possibly do this? Or as Paul says in 2 Corinthians, who is sufficient for these things? And the answer quite simply is no one. If you are relying on your own self-sufficiency to be a mother, you are in serious trouble. But the question is, Who do you go to for help? And your children are watching what your response is to your trials as you encounter them. So maybe it's time for mom to take a time out. And I don't mean time out as going for punishment in the other room. But maybe it's time for some Bible time or a favorite devotional or maybe just some prayer time. Some time alone to talk with God. James tells us in James chapter 4, or do you think that the scripture says to no purpose He jealously desires the spirit whom he has made to dwell in us, but he gives greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God, but resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come close to God and he will come close to you. And maybe it would be profitable for your children, depending on their ages and the situation, of course, but what better training for a child's heart than to witness mom relying on God's help when she gets on overload, right? I really like the the title 
of Ted Tripp's book. And many of you have probably read it, but it's, it's Shepherding a Child's Heart. Well, we as adults, and certainly moms in the everyday trials of motherhood, need to be reminded of that same concept ourselves. It is a heart issue, isn't it? What or who is your priority in the moment? Is it in accomplishing all of the particular tasks that you have before you, or is it in glorifying God? God has a way of reprioritizing things for us when he's not our priority. Oh, he isn't going to do the laundry, and he's not going to do the dishes, but he can certainly work at settling our hearts. There's a, an often uh, referred to quote from Martin Luther. He says, No one can believe how powerful prayer is and what it can affect except those who have learned it by experience. And praying for and with your children is the next topic I would like to address. Yes, as parents, we do have the responsibility of teaching our children the scriptures. And I think that will be uh, probably adequately covered in the session on family worship. But I want to caution moms and dads alike, uh, do not reserve your reference to scriptures to family worship time. Uh, as, as John has just talked about, they are our reference, our manual, if you will, for discipline as well, uh, for restraining and rebuking sin in our children. Uh, so we don't need to expound on that again, but what could be more important to a child than a praying mother. You may begin to pray for your child when they are in the womb, uh, maybe even earlier. Uh, consider Hannah. Hannah from 1 Samuel chapter 1. She is one of two wives of Elkanah, uh, the other wife has children. Hannah is barren, and she is often provoked by the other wife. If we drop down to verse 10, we find Hannah in the temple praying. Listen to First uh, Samuel 1, beginning with verse 10. She greatly distressed prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she made a vow to the Lord and said, Lord of armies, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your bondservant and remember me and not forget your bondservant, but will give your bondservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life. 
and a razor shall never come on his head. That's a reference to the Nazarite, just like in the case of Samuel again. Now it came about as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli, the priest, was watching her mouth. As for Hannah, she was speaking in her heart. Only her lips were quivering, but her voice was not heard. So Eli thought that she was drunk. Then Eli said to her, How long will you behave like a drunk? Get rid of your wine. But Anna answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman despairing in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your bondservant a useless woman, for I have spoken until now out of my great concern and provocation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your requests that you have asked of him. Bear in mind, Eli did not know that she was praying for a child. She's praying silently. <clears throat> she said, Let your bondservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went on her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Then they got up early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord and returned again to their house in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. In due time, uh, it, came, it came about in due time after Hannah had conceived that she gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel, saying, Because I have asked for him of the Lord. And then if we drop down to verse 27, uh, we note Hannah's response to Eli when they go to worship again. He says, For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my request which I asked of him, so I have also dedicated him to the Lord as long as he lives. So here we do indeed have an illustration of a mother praying for her child even before he is conceived. And the Lord heard her prayer. Imagine, imagine how hard that would be as a mother. To be barren for all that time, to pray to the Lord for a child, he grants your request, and then immediately after weaning the child, you give him up to serve in the temple, to be faithful to the vow that you had made to the Lord. But God knows our hearts as well as he hears our prayers. If you go to the next chapter, uh, there in Samuel, we read, The Lord indeed visited Hannah, and she conceived and gave birth to three sons and two daughters. So not only does God respond to her prayer for a son, but upon dedicating Samuel, God is gracious and blesses her with five more children as well. And I will say it is also important <clears throat> that mothers, and again I will add fathers, pray with their children. 
that they allow their children to learn what it means to pray in earnest, knowing that God hears them. And this is sort of a pet peeve with me uh, right now personally, and, and I will explain why. I will, will confess the, uh, there are often times when I find that I have begun to pray silently, and a few minutes down the line, I realize that I'm talking to myself. I don't know if any of you do that, but it's like, what, what, what an insult to God, right? You start praying to God, and then all of a sudden, you're no longer talking to God, you're talking to yourself, and it's like God saying, hey, were you talking to me, or are you talking to yourself? And I will say, it is the same thing when you are praying with other people. If you are praying with your spouse, if you are praying with your children, you are not talking to them, you are talking to God. And teach your children to recognize that. Uh, children pick up on what we do, and hopefully your children understand that when you are praying with them, you are not talking to them. You are talking to God, and that they also might learn to talk to God the same way that you talk to God. And God does hear us. Uh, that is how you can teach your children that praying to God is not like sending a Christmas list to Santa Claus. Right? The, <clears throat> there's that, that little acronym, you know, ACTS, Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, Supplication. Okay, that is not a formula to pray, but it is important that in the presence of our children, they can see that we honestly come before God acknowledging who he is and who we are. He is the most holy God of the universe. We are sinners coming before him to give him thanks for even listening to us to begin with. And then we present our requests before him. Be honest with your children. You are a sinner. They are a sinner. For mothers here who have adult children, uh, and I will speak as a parent with experience in that here at least, never stop praying for your children, ever. Uh, if you have a child who didn't come to faith, uh, as a child, continue to pray to God that he would be gracious in drawing them to himself. Uh, most of us are probably familiar uh, with the account of St. Augustine. Uh, his mother, Monica, prayed for him endlessly. Augustine was leading an immoral life, uh, enjoying or think, thinking anyhow that he was enjoying the ways of the world, and he actually went home and told his mother that he had converted to Manichaeism, which at the time was the most popular alternative to Christianity, 
which made his mother very angry uh, to the point that she kicked him out of the house once again, not to even argue the point with him, but she never stopped praying for him. And she prayed that the Lord would reach his heart. And ultimately, as we all know, and Monica didn't get the opportunity to know, St. Augustine became one of the greatest theologians that the church has ever known. She died a year after he was converted to Christianity. So at least we know she died in peace, knowing that God had heard her prayers and that he had answered her prayers. If your children are walking with the Lord, continue to pray for them even as they are adults. Pray for their spouses. Pray for, their, for your grandchildren. Remember the, uh, the account of Ruth and Naomi. Right? Naomi and her husband and two sons moved to Moab. And the two sons take Moabite wives. Ultimately, her husband and the two sons die. And Naomi makes the decision that she's going to go back to Bethlehem uh, with her own people. And she advises her two daughter-in-laws to go home to their mothers. But Ruth refuses. And why does Ruth refuse? Because she has observed Naomi as her mother-in-law, the mother of her husband. She has observed her faith. And she tells her, your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Now don't think for an instant that this was outside of God's plan. Because as we all know, ultimately Ruth marries Boaz, and Ruth and Boaz are the great grandparents of none other than King David himself. So but most important here, back to, to, to the point, is mothers, in raising your children, let them see that you are a godly mother. There is nothing that could be more impressionable upon them. That your treasure in life is God himself. Let your children know that you're not perfect. That you have weaknesses. That you have flaws, just like they do but that you trust that God will help you through the trials of life, whatever you encounter. Not an easy task, I understand. But let me close with, with these words that are hopefully words of encouragement, uh, probably nothing new, uh, but just a good reminder. We have a sovereign God. And that's who it is that we serve. And you are not a mother by accident. You are a mother by God's design. And you are not only 
a mother, but you are a mother of the particular children that God has given you by his design. And there is a reason for that. And God knows what that reason is, even though we don't. God doesn't make mistakes. He has made you the mother of your children for his good purpose. He knows what he's doing. He knows the trials he is allowing you to go through today and tomorrow. And the trials that you will have with the children you are trying to raise. But praise God for the blessings that he has given to you. Trust him that he will accomplish his plan for your children through you. He will be your guide if you will submit to him. Not that we ever understand what God is doing in any particular circumstance, and oftentimes it seems very bewildering, but we do understand that he knows. He knows what he is doing at all times, and rest with that confidence and that assurance as you endeavor to raise your children to know the Lord. Amen.